I am so glad that each and every one of you are here this morning, whether you've been here many, many times, maybe hundreds of times even, or those of you who are here for the very first time. We're starting a brand new message series today that I think is going to be very valuable for all of us that are here, because the reality is all of us have struggles, all of us have problems. If you tell me that you never have any problems, then you've got a problem, (laughs) an honesty problem. Because we all have problems. It's impossible to not have problems when you and I consider the world that we live in. And it's tough at times. It's challenging at times. And the Bible speaks to that. And it tells us, and we're going to talk about it in this series, uh, don't lose heart. See, God doesn't want us to lose heart. And if you happen to be going through, especially right now, just a challenging time in your life, or you're looking at some dilemmas that you're experiencing, or you have some big decisions to make, or there's some challenges that you've been dealing with for some time, uh, if you're just saying, you know what, Jeff, I'm, I'm right now, um, I'm in the middle of a problem. Even now, I'm in the middle of a problem. No matter what kind of situation you may be in, I, I want you to know you've come on a great Sunday because we're going to talk about some things that I think are going to be great, greatly helpful to you. In fact, we're going to do that today. And then we're going to do it for the next three Sundays. We're going to be talking about straight out of the Bible, how that you and I do not have to lose heart. God doesn't want us to lose heart. It's challenging, yes, but we don't have to lose heart. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be uh, downcast. Now, you may be thinking, even this morning, well, Jeff, here's my situation. I'm just coming out of a problem, or I'm in the middle of a problem right now, or I sense Uh, you know, that one is lying just ahead. I just see sort of the rumblings of that. Then the reality is that's that's life. And I wish that I could tell you, I mentioned this last week, uh, nothing would do my heart any better than to be able to say to all of you, well, guess what? You have just experienced your last problem. You're never, ever going to have another problem again. In fact, the last one you had is, is the last one you're ever going to have. Now, how many of you, that would be good news. You'd be like, I'm, I'm so glad to know that, that I'm not going to have any more problems. But you know better than that. Um, you're more reasonable than that in your thinking. Now, why is life so tough? Why can't things, you ever wonder this, why can't things be simple? Why can't things be easy? Do you ever have anything that you just say, that was so easy? Most of life is not that easy. It's difficult. You may be thinking, why can't life be more calm? Why is there so much drama? Why is there so much frustration? So, why are there so many challenges going on in my life? And, and the reality is, if you had been around in the days of Adam and Eve, it actually started out that way. That's the way that God actually intended the world to be. He wanted it to be that way, simple and easy and calm. And, and God is saying to Adam and Eve right there in the very beginning, you can go back to Genesis and check it out sometime. Uh, God is saying to Adam and Eve, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow my plan. I want you to do life my way and not your way. And here's what's going to happen. If you do that, you're going to experience unending peace and paradise. Life will be lived in the way that I intended it to be. But Adam and Eve chose instead to d- disobey God to do life their way instead of God's way, and sin, and with sin, all kinds of problems invaded this world. By the way, I I do need to clarify something. The attitude of Adam and Eve is still very much prevailing today. It is not ceased because still today, people just like you and me at times are saying, you know what? I know that God wants me to do this, and, and we wouldn't say it. We wouldn't be this blatant, but in our mind, in our actions, we're saying, 
but I know better. I like my plan. I'm going to do it my way. And that creates all kinds of problems for us. Now, I'm going to be expanding on this more over the next three weeks. By the way, I mean, unless you're out of town, and I hope that you don't have to make an out-of-town trip during this series, uh, unless you're in the hospital, and I certainly hope that you don't uh, have to spend any weekends or weeks or days in the hospital, but I want to encourage you to be here every single week. You see, there's a reason why you and I are always seemingly struggling. There's a reason why we have problems. And that is the reality is we're, we, we're in constant warfare. We're in constant battles. And, and I'm not going to, you know, approach that in some mysterious, weird kind of way. But let me just tell you three facts about that, why that is. The Bible describes the three battles that you and I are engaged in. And here they, here they are, and I'll expand on them. Uh, a little bit more in this series. There is, first of all, the battle with this world. We live in a world that is not easy. I touched on that a moment ago with the fall of Adam and Eve. Our culture tries to tear us down, to pull us down. So we're always in a battle with the world. And the world as it currently stands is not like pro-God. It's like anti-God. The culture that we live in wants to tear us down. But that's not the only battle that we're engaged in. We are also engaged in a battle with the devil, with Satan. And and I know what some of you are thinking, maybe. Some of you are thinking, Jeff, you don't really believe that there's an actual devil, do you? Really? Do? And I'm like, yes, I do. I do believe there's a devil. And I think it's indicative of what we see. Have any of you noticed that there's a lot of evil in the world? Have you known? Where does that come from? It, it comes from the devil and those who collaborate with him. So there is a real devil. There is a real Satan. We're in battle with him, and there's a real presence of evil in this world. Well, there's a third battle that you and I are engaged in. It's not the battle with the world, and it's not even the battle with the devil. It is the battle that we have going on inside of us. The Bible calls this our flesh. It's often referred to as our old, our sinful nature. And you and I, in fact, most, can I just tell you, most of the time, our battles are not with the world, although we have those. Our battles, most of the time, are not with the devil, although that happens again and again. Most of the battles that you and I are confronted by every single day, how many of you know it's actually the battles that are going on right inside of us? There's this part of us that wants to follow God. I recognize this about me. There's this part of me, this big part of me that wants to follow God, that wants to go God's way, that wants to say, yes, God, you're right. You know best. You've got the path. You've got the plan. And and God, and there's this huge part of me that says, you know what? I want to go God's way. But I must tell you, because I still struggle with my old nature, with my flesh. There's this part of me that says, I want to do it my way. I want to do life the way I want to make my, I want to do this. I want to do that. Now, how many of you, you can, you can sit there and you can say, my goodness, I knew that you had a problem. I guess that just, you know, validates it. But how many of you know, you've got that going on inside. Do you recognize that ever going on inside of you? Do you ever have, Paul talked about it in Romans. He said, I've got this battle going on inside of me. There is this side of me that wants to do right, that wants to go God's way and wants to follow God completely, but there's another law at work within the members of my body. This is what Paul said, and it's this this internal battle that every person, barring none, has to contend with. But with these battles, I want us to be clear, we do not have to be discouraged. We do not have to be depressed. We do not have to be hopeless. 
In fact, beginning today, as I mentioned to you, I want to talk to you about how in the midst of all these challenges and these three battles that you and I don't have to lose heart. And to kick off this series, I want to take you to the New Testament book of Hebrews. I want to read about 10 verses. These first 10 verses are not going to be on the screen. You're going to see portions of them. But I'm going to read 10 verses, and then for the next few moments, I want to unpack these verses with you. So let me just read for a few minutes, 10 verses. I'm going to start in Hebrews, the ending part of Hebrews chapter 11. Now, the writer here is talking about these great spiritual giants in times past. And he says of them, they were tortured. They were refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope, talking about these great spiritual giants in the past, and Hebrews mentions them. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and that, and that was easy compared uh, to what they also would experience. Others, their bats were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some, the writer says, died by stoning. Some, if you could imagine, were sawed in half, and others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were, and I like, and this is so true, they were too good for this world. This is what the Hebrew writer, they're just too good for this world. They were honorable men and women. They were wandering over deserts and mountains. They were hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation. Here's why. Because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. Let me read that again. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. Now, friends, there's going to be some rewards that are not going to be handed out until the end of time. Can I just tell you some of these great heroes, these great spiritual giants of the past, there are some of the rewards that are not going to come into play. And I'm going to talk about this this morning until you and I finish our, our portion of the race. And, and there's some things. Listen, God has good things in store for you, but how many of you know they don't all happen like right here and right now? For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. There's this essence where they're waiting on us. Now, that is the end of uh, Hebrews 11. Now, let me pick up a few verses, four verses, in fact, at the beginning of chapter 12, still in Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded, now it's back to us, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows, slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Let us do that. There's a race that God wants us to fulfill. We do this, how? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. We need to talk about that. The champion, Jesus is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Jesus, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think, the writer says, of all the hostility he endured from sinful people so that you, you and I, won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in, in your struggle against sin. In other words, it's not like, you know, you've, you've had to, it's been tough, but you've not had to give your life. You've not had to shed your blood. So what I want to do is, out of those 10 verses, I want to give you now four realities 
uh, from these verses, and I want you to be sure you get them. You may want to write them down somewhere, put them on your phone, your, your iPad, your tablet. I want you to be sure you get these, and I'm going to walk you through them rather quickly. Number one, this is all out of this Hebrew uh, passage or passages, two of them that we just read. Four things. Let me give you the first one. We need to remember, if you and I are not going to lose heart, if we're going to run the race the way that we ought to run the race, we need to keep this in mind. We need to remember that heaven is watching us that heaven is watching us. Now, how many of you, it is, not, it is not a trick question, so you can raise your hand, not a trick question. How many of you, you like to run? You're, you're a runner. You, you like to run. You like to get out and run, all right? And, and many of you do, several of you. I was in Southern California from Monday through Friday. If there was, in, if there was any great running weather, it was in Southern California. The high each day would get up maybe slightly over 80, and the evening it would be in the 60s. And let me just uh, mention a phrase that none of us are too familiar with. It is this phrase, no humidity. <laughs> and it was just like perfect running weather. It was just perfect running weather. Now, those of you who are runners, you probably have heard of this guy. His name, his name is Dean Carnese, uh, Carnese. He's the ultimate, he has been called the ultra marathon man. Listen to this, you runners will appreciate this. He ran 50 marathons on 50 consecutive days. He ran 350 miles in three days without stopping and without sleep. How many of you know that is the ultra marathon man? He has run the Badwater Marathon seven times, which begins in Death Valley and finishes 135 miles later, halfway up Mount Whitney. In an interview for Outside Magazine, he shared his view of American culture. Listen, to, listen carefully to what he said. He said, Western culture, how many of you know that's us, has things a little backwards right now. We think that if we had every comfort available to us, we'd be happy. We equate comfort with happiness and now, he said, we're so comfortable, we're miserable. How do we run the race? How do we successfully run the race? Well, we remember that heaven is watching us. You see, every generation of Christ followers before us has already run their leg of the race. And now, as I mentioned to you, the baton has been placed in our hands for this portion of the relay. Whether you realize it or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, the baton has been handed off to you. There's a lot of people who live for Jesus years and years ahead of us. And now, just generationally, this baton has been passed down to the next generation, to the next. And now, it is in our hands, and heaven is rooting for us. I want you to take a look. Let's go back to Hebrews uh, 12. You're going to see this up on the screen. This is the A part of verse 1. Look at it with me. It says, therefore, since we, that's us, are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And again, it just goes back to what I'm saying in this first thought out of Hebrews 11 and 12, and that is heaven is watching us. Have you considered that? Uh, many of you have read the Bible. You know these great heroes of the faith. You've heard and read about Abraham. And what about Jacob? And what about Moses and David? What about the prophets? What about all these great men and women of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament? You see, your life has an audience. My life has an audience. Heaven is watching us. The reason? 
Is it to just sit in judgment? Is it to just say, well, you're not doing that good and you're not really running the race that well? No, heaven is not sitting in judgment on us. It is to cheer us on. It is those heroes of the faith. If you can imagine this, and this is hard for our mind to comprehend, but right now, even as heaven is watching us and the baton is in our hand, these great men and women of the faith from Old Testament, New Testament, every generation since is not sitting in judgment, but is saying, come on, you can make it. We're pulling for you. Don't quit. Don't lose heart. We know it's tough. We know of all people that it's tough, but don't give up. Don't back up. And when you fall down, you just get back up and you keep running the race. You just, even when it's tough, you keep running. We're cheering for you. We're pulling for you. You have an audience in heaven that is watching you even now. And you need to remember that. And I need to remember that. And to help us not lose heart. I can remember because I, I grew up in church. I got away from God, unfortunately, for a few years as, as a teenager. I knew I was making uh, horrible decisions, reconnected with God when I was uh, latter 15, almost 16 years of age. But I was raised in church. And some of you, if you participate with some of the Wednesday night uh, ministries at the North Campus, I know that we have some leaders in Royal Rangers and some of these young men that are in Royal Rangers. You may have a son that is in Royal Rangers. And, and I grew up being in Royal Rangers. And I can remember that. I can remember being a part of that and the effect that that ministry had on me. And uh, just some things that I was learning spiritually even when I was young. I, I can remember this time in talking about a race when we had this obstacle, this, I don't know who designed it, uh, some very apparently sick Royal Ranger leaders designed this obstacle course that was unbelievable. And, and we're, we're kids, we're young. And this obstacle course that was not uh, too far from the church and uh, out in these woods, and I don't know who devised it, who designed it, but I'm telling you, they were cruel. They didn't like, they didn't like kids, that's all I can say. And it was tough. And I'd been involved in athletics up to that point. I'd, you know, and so it's not like I'd been sitting every day of my life on the couch playing video games. I was, I was active. I was outside every day with my friends, participating in organized sports as well. So, you know, this was something that was not totally unfamiliar to me. But I can remember this being so tough. And I, I can remember, I knew that I was getting near the end of the obstacle course and every kind of inhumane thing that they had set up for us to go through. And I can remember getting toward the end of the race. And I'm just like, I'm, I've never been so exhausted. I've never wanted to stop. I've never wanted to quit. As bad as I want to quit right now. And then as I'm feeling this way, I notice that a lot of these Royal Ranger leaders that I'm not feeling real good at, about at the moment, they're all at the end, and they're clapping, and they're like, come on, you can make it. And you know what it did to me? It just, it just caused a resurgence of energy in me. I didn't want to give up anymore. I didn't want to quit. I knew I was near the end, and all these men that I had such high respect for are at the end, and they're just clapping. They're just applauding. They're just saying, "You come on, come on, you can. And I mean, you just got that extra step. And I still remember today what that trophy looked like. I, I, I can remember finishing the race, and I, I came in second place which means that whoever came in first place cheated. I don't know what they did, but they, they cheated. And I can just remember thinking to myself, I'm so glad that I finished. One day, you're going to be glad that you're finished. One day, you're going to be glad you did not give up. And we need to remember, not only is Abraham and Jacob and Moses and even prophets, Paul and uh, the apostle Peter, the apostle John, all these, but God is also part of that huge crowd. You see, God sees every challenge that you face. He knows your ups and your downs. He knows your tests and your trials. He knows your pain and your problems. 
He sees every detail of your life. In fact, look at this verse. This is out of Job. Job 31.4 says this, God knows. In fact, read it with me, everybody. God knows everything I do. He sees every step I take. So first of all, if you and I are not going to lose heart, if we're going to run our leg of the race in a way that's going to honor God and going to help to fulfill it in our generation, then we need to remember that heaven is watching us. Secondly, we need to determine if there's anything in our life that is slowing us down. Is there anything in our life that is slowing us down? Take a look at this next portion of Hebrews 12. It's still verse 1, but now it's the B part of verse 1. Look at it with me. So let us, it's talking about navigating the race successfully, so let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So we're in this race. We know that by now. The baton generation to generation has been passed down to us. Now we're running our leg of the race. Those who have gone before us, there's this sense of, you know, cheering us on. They know that a lot of the rewards that are going to come at the end of time are being held back until the race is over. And so heaven is watching us and cheering for us. Now the writer of Hebrews lets us know that the lighter the load, the greater our effectiveness and endurance. And he mentions two things that will create heaviness for any of our lives, and that is weights and that is sins. So what's the difference between weights and sins? You may want to get this down because the two are not the same. Let's take weights first. Weights are not something that is wrong or bad. In fact, weights can actually be good things. But generally speaking, it is too many good things that can eventually cause our lives to become unmanageable and out of control. How many of you know that too many good things can actually become a bad thing if it takes us off of the epicenter of where we need to be in our lives? And and we've got to be wise in that regard. I can remember... Again, this is when I was growing up. I, I played other, other sports because of my height. I was a shoe-in for basketball. Uh, maybe not. But there were other sports that I could play with my Baseball being my first love of all the other sports. And I can remember when I was really, really young, I just wanted to play every position. I wanted to pitch, which I did for, you know, up into high school and all of that. So I was left, left-handed, and everybody wanted a left-handed pitcher because guys were not used to seeing that. So I wanted to pitch, and I was given plenty of opportunity to do that. I wanted to play first base and had plenty of chances. I wanted to play left field. I always, for some reason, I'd say to my dad, I, I want to catch. I, I want to be... I want to catch some. I want to put on the equipment, the gear. And how many of you know it's not really easy to find a right-handed catcher's mitt? And you think about even the major leagues. Do you ever see a left-handed catcher? No, you never see a left-handed catcher or a left-handed shortstop for that matter. And there's reasons why. And so I wanted to catch, but I I wasn't able to to do that. But the other positions, but then as I got into high school and I was fortunate enough to make the varsity team, I noticed that now this is much more serious. I can remember growing up in Atlanta, getting up in the early, it was dark outside and very cold outside, and having to go to the gymnasium of our high school. Just pitchers and catchers had to report early, and just being so freezing earlier than I'd ever gotten up. And now it was all about priority, and now it's about focus. It's about, no, we're not, we're not going to get distracted with this, and no, you're not going to play, uh, you know, left field, you're not going to play first now. And it's just a, a removal of clutter so that we could focus on the main thing. It's removing all these other weights. 
And maybe you've got a lot of good things going on in your life, but what is the main thing that God wants you to do? How closely do you reflect a balanced life? Is the life that you're living right now, think about this, is it sustainable for the long haul? When you start looking at your job, what, we got to work our jobs. What about your friends and then your family and then you've got hobbies and all of these things are good things, but do you ever get so busy with all these good things that you don't really have an opportunity to make God the priority? All good things. What's wrong with family? Nothing. What's wrong with friends? Nothing. What's wrong with a job? Nothing. God wants us to use our talents, gifts, and ability. What's wrong with hobbies? Nothing. Unless all of these things collectively begin to occupy so much space in our mind and in our schedules that God is little by little diminished in our life. That is weights. And the writer of Hebrews says, you've got to get rid of those. Then there are our sins. And they too will slow us down. So we take our weights, and again, all these things may be good things, but we've got to focus and make sure that we've made priority in our life and good things, but we know that sin, sins, plural, are not good things. And we've got to realize that sins not dealt with will slow us down. Now, uh, go back to talking about running for just a moment. If you like to run, and many of you raised your hand, not all of you, Uh, But many of you raised your hand. What if I said to you, well, you like to run, so let's gather together a group of people at our church that like to run, and and we're all going to run Lake Hollingsworth together. And and you'd be like, okay, you know, three miles, do that. That's going to be fun. You know, let's do it early or late so it's not so hot. And so we all meet up. But just before we start running around the, the lake, I give all of you a very heavy suitcase. In other words, the way a, a lady would pack a suitcase, all right? You would pack... And I hand you a ladies' packed suitcase. And I said, I want you to run. We're all going to run. But we're, you'd say, are you kidding me? This is going to slow me down. And sure it would. And sins slow us down. And we do it all the time. And we carry around things. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm saying. We carry around, around things that we ought not carry around. We carry around grudges. And how many of you know you carry around grudges and unforgiveness I promise you, it's going to slow you down. We hold on to anger, and it slows us down. And the reality, and we could talk about this in more detail, but the reality is we need to confess these things to God. We need to lay them down. We need to run the race. We need to trust in God's forgiveness. We need to know that when, I love this verse in the Bible, and I've quoted it at least a zillion times, however many times that is. The Bible that says, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and he cleanses us, what? From all unrighteousness. In fact, I like what Max Lucado said. The guys will put it up here on the screen. Listen to what he says. He says this so well. The blood of Christ does not cover your sins, conceal your sins, postpone your sins, or diminish your sins. It takes away your sins once and for all time. And how many of you are glad of that? So how do we not lose heart? How do we run the race? We need to remember, firstly, that heaven is watching us. Secondly, we need to determine if there's anything that is slowing us down. Thirdly, be sure you get this now. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus and not on my problems. You're going to have problems. I told you that. I want to be honest with you. You're going to have them. But you and I don't need to focus on our problems. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. In fact, look at this next portion of Hebrews. This is what it says. Let's all read it together. Help me out on this one. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. Now, if you've got your eyes fixed on your problems, no wonder you feel discouraged. 
If all you can ever see is your problems, no wonder you feel worried and hopeless. No wonder you're losing heart. You're focused on the wrong thing. Instead, the Bible, Hebrews particularly, encourages us to focus on Jesus. And Jesus has already proven himself to be faithful in our lives before. How many of you know that? You can look back. All of you, if you really think about it uh, for a moment, if you're in the middle of a challenge right now and you're just saying, I can either look at my problem or I can look at Jesus, one of the things that you want to remind yourself, you want to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God in times past. Every one of us here has not only experienced problems, but we can remember a time in our life where God stepped in and helped us with our greatest challenge. How many of you can remember a time just like that? It's happened to us all. We've had problems, but we looked to God, and God has demonstrated his faithfulness in times past, but not just in times past. Think about how God has demonstrated his power and his presence in your life right now, that the presence of God is real in your life right now. You see, one of the epidemics that we have in our nation is this problem of loneliness. Do you know that we're some of the most blessed people in all the world, but when categorically studies have been indicated, do you know who it comes back to time and time again that some of the loneliest people in all the world are? Do you know what it is? Who's always at the top of the list? Americans. We are more blessed. We're more fortunate. God has been so, we live in a land that is blessed, and we have tremendous opportunities, yet we are some of the loneliest people in all the world. But you know what God says to us? God says, I've not only proven myself to be faithful in times past, I am a present reality in your life. In fact, you are never going to be alone. Every two years, our general council meets, and I won't bore you with all the details of that, but uh, we meet in a different part of, of the nation. And generally, it works like this. Orlando, two years later, we're somewhere else. Back to Orlando, two years, and then somewhere. This year, it was in Anaheim, California. So, uh, again, I won't bore you with the details of it, but it's meetings all day, and, um, and but then there's great services at night. And so... I've, I've got some family involved in ministry as well, some cousins and uncle. And so um, we'd sit together. It's one of the few times that we could all be together. And so we'd sit together in the business sessions and such. And so we were seated together. And one day, my uncle on Wednesday, actually, this past Wednesday, my uncle said to my cousin and me, he's like, I got to get up for a moment. You know, it was quite tight seating. It wasn't like these lovely seats that can put you to sleep that we have here. It was just uncomfortable seating. So I got up and he said, my back is bothering me. And, and when he stands up, he said, I wonder if I'm getting a kidney stone. Well, we didn't think much beyond that. I just honestly thought, well, you know, just sitting in these cramped, uncomfortable positions, that make anybody's back hurt. Well, then I didn't hear anything else. Called him the next morning because we'd have sort of a rendezvous point. We'd all sit together. And so I called him that morning and I said, all right, so uh, getting ready to leave the hotel, headed over to the conference center, and where are you going to be seated? He said, I'm at the hospital. And I'm like, you're what? He said, yeah, I've been here since 930. I've got a kidney stone. And I'm like, wow, you do? And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have surgery. Now, how many of you know you, how many of you, know you never want to have surgery? And you've heard my description of surgery, the difference between major and minor surgery. Minor surgery is if you're having it. Major surgery, if, if I'm having it. It may be the same surgery, but minor may, how many, all right? That's the difference. And so nobody wants to have surgery. How many of you know when you're on the road traveling, you definitely don't want to have surgery? And so uh, he said, I'm, I'm at the hospital. I'm about to have surgery. 
So I said, you're kidding. And then I said, my cousin is Ed. I said, well, Ed and I would love to come up and see you, but there's a really great restaurant in Anaheim, and we've just been holding out, and, you know, we'd come see you, but, you know, we heard the, f- no, of course, I, some of you are like, really, you did that to your, no, I didn't do that. I said, well, we'll be over there, and so we Ubered over to the hospital, found out where it was, and walked in, and you know what, all we wanted to do is just be with him. He's a great man of God. He's a tremendous missionary, spent most of his life overseas as a missionary, so it's not like a guy that is weak in his faith, but you know what our intention was? To just be with him. To just be with him. To just be there. Keep him company. How many of you know that when people around you are hurting, a lot of times we think, and I'll, I'll just sort of put this back in your direction, a lot of times we think, well, I, I'd go and be with them, but I don't know what to say, and, and I may say something I shouldn't say, or I don't know any good things to say. Listen, it is not... It is not what we say when we're with somebody. How many of you know it's presence that makes the difference, not our pronunciation of words? And so we just wanted to be with him. And so we just tried to cheer him up. and We'd talk and laugh and try to keep him occupied as he awaited surgery. And the reason I mention that, we didn't want him to be alone. And God doesn't want you to be alone. In fact, God has said, listen, this is God's word to you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so we remember the faithfulness of God's in in times past where we we had a problem and God stepped in. And then we remember the present reality of his his presence in our life. And and we say, well, I'm, I'm never alone. And then we keep our eyes on Jesus. And when we do, we remember his promises for the future, that he's watching over us, that nothing that could ever touch us. I live with this reality, and I hope you do too, that nothing can ever touch us that God does not permit. The reality is, if you're a Christian, now this is not accurate, unfortunately, if you're not a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you said, I do want God in my life, then God said, if you want me in your life, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come into your life, but I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to hold you in the palm of my hand. And nothing can ever touch your life without it first having to come through me. God is with you, and he's given you promises. And so the reality is, and the Hebrew writer is saying this, don't look at your problems. If you look at your problems, you are going to want to give up. You are going to want to lose heart. Don't look at your problems. Instead, keep your eyes on Jesus. There's a, a Christian psychologist. His name is Dr. Larry Crabb, and I want you to take a look at what he said. And it's so true. He said every problem is actually an opportunity to get to know God better. You know, when you and I most look to God, it's when we've got problems in our life. When everything is going well in our life, isn't it something? What we do, we just keep on moving on. But then a problem hits, and we say, this is bigger than me. And we say, here's what I'm going to do in the middle of my challenge. I'm not going to look at the challenge. If I do, I'll get discouraged. I'll become worried. I'll feel hopeless. But instead, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. Lastly, fourth, be sure you get this one. It'll only take us a moment. I need to remember, you need to remember the pain that Jesus experienced because of us. Let me suggest something to you in these last few minutes of this service, something that I've done uh, so many times in the past. When I think that things are so tough, I feel the same way you do. Things are so tough in my life, and I even have these moments like you do where you start feeling a little bit sorry for yourself if something you feel is unfair in your life. You know what I do oftentimes, and it just sort of recalibrates my perspective. I stop and I think about those who are really dealing with major difficulties constantly. I think about our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ 
I, I, think, about, I think about people in third world countries who just, who just don't even know what they're going to have for their next meal. They don't have vehicles. They don't have homes like we have. They don't have food like we have. They don't have clothes like we have. And I think about people who have problems that are a lot worse than my little old problems. I think about the killing fields of Cambodia. I met a guy there who watched. There was a group of, and he was a kid. I met him while I was in, in California. There was 100 kids that were taking killing fields of Cambodia. Most of you have read at some point about the Khmer Rouge and just the devastation throughout Cambodia. And he was a young man with 100 other kids, and they were just brutalized and would work in these insane conditions. And many of them died. In fact, out of his group of 100, I think it was around 80 or 85 of them died. And I think about, now that's real problems. I watched a movie coming back because you put me on an airplane for four and a half hours and you can't tell me, I, you tell me I can't move. I'm telling you, I'm borderline insane. I've got to move. I cannot stay still. I've got to be doing something. I cannot just sit. And so I watched this movie I downloaded before I left. And it just, it, it was based on a true story out of World War II. And I thought about, oh man, look at these conditions. Think, think about everything that happened with the extermination of, of all these Jews and Hitler's uh, rage. And, and I just sat there, and I'm, I'm seeing, you know, these action scenes based on true, true events. And I'm thinking, now those are real problems. I knew what I was talking about today with you. But what we also need to do is we need to reflect intentionally upon the pain that Jesus endured for us. Think about everything. In fact, look at this next verse, our last verse. The Hebrew writer said, if you're going to run the race, wow, you're not going to give up. Think of all the hostility that Jesus endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary. Then you're not going to give up. Why did he do it? Did he do it for him? No, he did it for us. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And if I think that life is too tough, and I think that life is unfair, and I think that, you know, this is, you know, a challenge that I don't know I need to make. I not only need to think about people that have challenges far greater than mine, I need to think about Jesus who went through the greatest challenge of all. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. I want to read a couple of statements, and then we're going to pray. Uh, John Ortberg has written a book called Who Is This Man? And in it, he says, talking about Jesus, he said his cradle was a feeding trough. His nursery mates had four legs. He was wrapped in rags. He was born in a cave. He was targeted for death. He was raised on the run. He would die with even less dignity, convicted, beaten, bleeding, abandoned, naked, shamed. Tim Keller wrote a book called The Reason for God, and in it he writes this, and it's so true. Christianity alone among the world religions claims that God became uniquely and fully human in Jesus Christ and therefore knows firsthand despair and rejection and loneliness and poverty and bereavement and torture and imprisonment. He goes on to say, on the cross, Jesus went beyond even the worst human suffering and experienced cosmic rejection and pain that exceeds ours. And so if I'm saying life is tough, I need to remember those who have run the race. I need to remember that heaven is watching me. I need to lay aside anything that's going to slow me down, weights and sins. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus and not my problems. If I focus on my problems, I'm going to get discouraged. And then I need to remember, and you need to remember, what Jesus went through for each of us. And he said, you do that. The writer of Hebrews said, you do that. Guess what? You're not going to lose heart. You'll be like I felt that day running that obstacle course. 
when I was running and I just wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. I was too tired. I was exhausted. I'm like, why do I keep doing this? And then I turned the corner and all these guys standing there said, come on, you can make it. And heaven is doing that for you. Would you stand for a closing prayer? If you've not yet trusted your life to Jesus, I would encourage you to do that. You want to know, because you're going to face problems in this world, that you've got somebody that is on your side. You've got somebody that is holding your, holding your hand. You've got somebody that is backing you and supporting you and encouraging you. Somebody that's got your back. Somebody that's going to whisper in your ear, keep on. You're going to make it. If you're here today and you've not yet made Jesus the Savior and the leader of your Lord, you've not invited him into your life, and you want to become a Christian today, would you just raise your hand? And let me just pray for you right where you're at. How many of you, especially this morning, you'd say, I'm going through a challenge. Pastor Jeff, I feel like these verses in the Bible were for me, were for me. I'm going through a challenge, and it reminds me what I need to do. I need to keep on running. I'm not going to lose heart. How many of you, you just lift your hand. Say, pray for me. I'm in the middle of a struggle right now, and I need God's help. And so, Father, you've seen all these hands. And for those who are not yet your followers, who just pray in their own way, in their heart, Jesus, come into my life. Make me a brand new person. We confess our sins. Forgive us, God. Thank you that you promise that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that you hold us in the palm of your hands, that heaven is watching us. I pray for those here today, God, that are in the middle of a problem, in the middle of a challenge. I pray that this message today, straight from your word, would encourage them. And they'll just keep on pressing on God, knowing it's worth it. They're not going to give up, and they're not going to focus on their problems. They're going to focus on you. And you are there, and you said you will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. For that, we give you great praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I love you. Be sure you're back next week. Have an awesome week, everybody.